Peace be upon you. So one of the tactics of the devil is the bait and switch, where he convinces individuals into a certain ideology or promise or task, and then when they go to follow through with it, the devil abandons them, disowns them, and clears himself of any uh, wrongdoing. And this is in the classic example of Adam and Eve, where God gave Adam and Eve the specific instructions not to approach this tree, yet the devil duped them and convinced them that, hey, the reason God told you not to approach this, that if you do and you eat from it, you're going to become immortals. And uh, Adam and Eve were duped by this, and when they were, the devil basically absolved himself of, from blame. And we see this also depicted on the testimony the devil's going to give on the day of judgment. In Surah 14, verse 22, it reads, The devil will say after the judgment had been issued, God has promised you a truthful promise. And I promised you, but I broke my promise. I had no power over you. I simply invited you and you accepted my invitation. Therefore, do not blame me and blame only yourselves. My complaining cannot help you, nor can your complaining help me. I have disbelieved in your idolizing me. The transgressors have incurred a painful retribution. So this is what the devil does, is that he convinces people, he suckers them into a certain idea. And then when they go to implement that idea, he disowns them. He says, hey, it's not me, it's you, you decided to do this on your own volition. And we see the same example when the disbelievers were going to fight the believers in war, uh, what the devil told them, what pr he provoked the disbelievers into thinking. And it uh, reads in Surah 8 verse 48, it says, The devil had adorned their works in their eyes and said, You cannot be defeated by any people today, and I will be fighting along with you. But as soon as the two armies faced each other, he turned back on his heels and fled, saying, I disown you. I see what you do not see. I am afraid of God. God's retribution is awesome. And this is what the devil does. He provokes people. He raises them. He convinces them of a certain thing. And then when they're actually going to face it, where they're going to suffer the consequences from it, he abandons them and leaves them out to dry. The reason I bring this up is that recently I started reading a book entitled The Devil and Karl Marx, written by Paul Kanger. For those who aren't familiar, Karl Marx is the co-author of the Communist Manifesto and the founder of the oppressive ideology bearing his name called Marxism. But long before Marx penned his Communist Manifesto, he was infatuated with the devil and hell, despite being a staunch atheist. In one poem from 1837, he wrote, Thus heaven I fortified, I know it full well, my soul once true to God is chosen for hell. This was a decade before his writing of the Communist Manifesto, which was published in 1847. And in this manifesto, he describes religion as the opium of the masses that needs to be eradicated in order for his described utopia to occur. Interestingly enough, Karl Marx died in 1883 and similar to the devil, was not around to see the ramifications of his ideology that was eventually adopted as the framework for some of the most heinous governments in history. It's estimated that communism implemented by these governments have resulted in the unnecessary death of over 100 million souls in the 20th century alone. And all he did was he invited people to this ideology. He implanted it in their mind, but he wasn't around to be able to witness for himself the loss of lives and devastation that his ideology caused, very similar to the devil. 
It's interesting that many of those who despise religion and God, like Karl Marx, inherently tend to pick up the mantle of a Satanist ideology. What may have started off as a mere trolling of those who believe in God eventually grows to become a full-blown acceptance and devotion of the devil's point of view in his dispute against God. This trend continues in modern-day movements like that of the Satanic Temple, which claims to not be Satanist, but nevertheless end up promoting Satanic viewpoints uh, to their organization. The best depiction of this is the symbol this organization uses to promote themselves, which is the Baphomet. The Baphomet, for those who aren't familiar, is a transgender human-animal depiction, which is partially human, partially a goat with the uh, wings of an angel or a bird. And this depiction is meant to symbolize the merging of male and female, human and animal, and ultimately the merging of good and evil. This ultimately signals at the foundation of the atheist belief, the denouncement of universal morality in favor of moral relativism, where there is no distinct right or wrong, it's all merged together. And this is the merging, again, of male and female, as opposed to being distinct entities. You see that the Baphomet, it's merged, it's transsexual, it has both male and female organs. You see that it's also animal and human, because this is the atheistic view is that human beings are nothing more than advanced primates and ultimately the merging of good and evil. That there is no good, there is no evil, it's just how it's viewed by the individual. To further reinforce the symbolism, the Baphomet's right arm is a female arm and is pointing up towards the heaven with the word solve written on the forearm, which comes from the same word as dissolve. But in this depiction is meant to separate. So it's pointing up to the heaven and the word separate is written on the uh, forearm. While the right arm is a male arm pointing down to the ground with the word coagula, which is the same root for the word coagulate, which in this context means to join together. So this figure is pointing towards the sky and saying to separate your connection from the heaven and the pointing the finger towards the ground in order to reinforce our connection with this worldly life. We read in Surah 11, verse 15 through 16, it says, those who pursue this worldly life and its material vanities will pay them for their works in this life without the least reduction. It is they who gave up their share in the hereafter, and consequently, hell is their lot. All their works are in vain. Everything they have done is nullified. The Baphomet is reinforcing this belief to sever our connection with our relation with God in favor of this worldly life. Therefore, the Baphomet is merging together the good and evil, male and female, human and animal, and distinct and separate all into one. And this is what the devil does, is that he muddles these things that God has set uh, for us that are proven facts that there's a distinction between male and female. There's a distinction between good and evil. There's a distinction between human and animal. But for the atheist, for the followers of the satanic temple, it's all merged together. And this completely contradicts what we learn in the Quran. In Surah 5 verse 100, we read, Proclaim, the bad and the good are not the same. Even if the abundance of bad may impress you, you shall reverence God. 
even if you are in the minority, O you who possess intelligence, that you may succeed. Here clearly God is distinguishing the bad from the good, that they are not the same. In Surah 2 verse 27 it reads uh, regarding the disbelievers who violate God's covenant after pledging to uphold it, sever what God has commanded to be joined and commit evil, these are the losers. What the devil wants to do is to sever our connection with God, to muddle that connection, to corrode that connection that we have. And we see this repeated in Surah 13, verse 25. It says, as for those who violate God's covenant after pledging to keep it and sever what God has commanded to be joined and commit evil, they have incurred condemnation, they have incurred the worst destiny. What the devil aims to do is to sever our connection with God. And he does this by muddling things for us, confusing our religion for us, and confusing morality for us. And in Surah 53, verse 45, it says, He is the one who created two kinds, male and female. And it's interesting, this fascination uh, for atheists towards transsexualism, the merging of the male and the female, that their symbol is an individual that is merged between animal and human and male and female. When individuals reduce the human being as no more than an animal, what they're doing is they're trying to absolve the human being of their responsibility. In Surah 7 verse 179, it reads, We have committed to hell multitudes of jinns and humans. They have minds with which they do not understand, eyes with which they do not see, ears with which they do not hear. They are like animals. No, they are far worse. They are totally unaware. When we came into this world, as human beings. This gave us certain authority, but it also came with the responsibility. And trying to absolve ourselves of that responsibility, to reduce us as no more than advanced apes, is a way for the human being to try to reduce down their sinful behavior as nothing that they could be held accountable for. In Surah 33 verse 72, it says, We have offered the responsibility, freedom of choice to the heavens and the earth and the mountains, but they refused to bear it and were afraid of it. But the human being accepted it. He was transgressing ignorant. This is something that all of us accepted. And to try to reduce ourselves to say we no longer bear this responsibility because we're no different than the animals is denying the blatantly obvious that unlike the animals, we have a moral responsibility. We have a distinction between good and evil. And we hold ourselves to a higher standard than we would an animal. In Surah 90 verse 4, it says, We created the human being to work hard to redeem himself. These lazy individuals who want to give themselves a pass from the responsibility they bear are doing no justice for their soul and are going to be severely disappointed on the day of judgment. As if that's not all bad enough, one of the core objectives, the missions of the satanic temple is to promote the right for women to be able to kill their own children. In an infamous Huffington Post article written in September 2020 entitled The Death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg Pushed Me to Join the Satanic Temple, a mother writes about how after the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that she was motivated to join the satanic temple. And this is her article. It reads, Our democracy has become so fragile that the loss of one of the last guardians of common sense and decency in government less than two months before a pivotal election has put our civil and reproductive rights in danger like never before. And so I have turned to Satanism.
reading through the seven tenets of the Satanic Temple, I was struck by how closely they align with the unwritten code I used to try to guide my own life for several years. I realized happily that these were my people and that I had been a Satanist for several years without even knowing it. When Justice Ginsburg's death suddenly made combating the threats to reproductive rights and a government free from religious interference more urgent, I knew it was time to join them and support their conceptual and legal battles. Here's someone who, in essence, said, hey, I, I want to participate with the Satanic Temple because I want individuals to be able to kill their children. In Surah 6, verse 137, it says, Thus were the idol worshippers duped by their idols to the extent of killing their own children. In fact, their idols inflict great pain upon them and confuse their religion for them. Had God willed they would not have done it, you shall disregard them and their fabrications. There is nothing good that comes out of this organization. They're promoting satanic ideals. And what's interesting is, again, most of these individuals who started this organization are not going to be around to bear the consequences that they're imposing on people by promoting these ideas. Despite their denial of worshiping Satan and their disting themselves from the Satanists in the Church of Satan, their philosophy still reflects Satanic values. So there's another group called the Church of Satan, which is a Satanic group who basically promote that they worship the devil. And in a Rolling Stones article interviewing David Harris, the magister of the Church of Satan, they asked him regarding Little Nas's music video, Montero, where Little Nas does a lap dance for the devil, and then he breaks his neck and takes the, the devil's crown and wears it himself. And this is what he had to say regarding the matter. It says, we view ourselves as the most powerful beings in the world. The fact he crowned himself as Satan, now that's satanic. Basically, we worship ourselves. We refer to ourselves as I theist, says Harris. We see ourselves as our own God. This is their own words as far as what it is they believe, what it is that they promote. And if we read the Quran, Surah 25, verse 43, it says, Have you seen the one whose God is his own ego? Will you be his advocate? Do you think that most of them hear or understand? They're just like animals. No, they are far worse. These groups, whether they realize it or not, are promoting the ideologies of the devil that is causing the spreading of evil and corruption. Yet they are convinced that what they are doing is righteous. We see this in the example of the Quran in Surah 2 verse 11. It says, when they are told, do not commit evil, they said, but we are righteous. And this word for evil is fasad, which means the spreading of corruption. Because like we described in the previous episode regarding corruption, that corruption and decay mean the same thing. That this is something that spreads, that once this ideology gets embedded inside the people, you're going to start seeing it spread throughout society. And the response when they say, but we are righteous, that the Arabic word that's used here is muslihun, which means someone who's a reformer. What they believe is that what is recognized as universally right and wrong is flawed. And they want to correct this system to justify egotism, to justify self-worship, to justify the killing of innocent children, to justify transsexualism, to justify the merging of good and evil. Recently, I stumbled on the work of Rob Henderson. 
who coined a term known as luxury beliefs. The idea behind luxury beliefs are beliefs that one can hold to signal their supposed virtue, yet be safeguarded against the clear destruction these ideas cause. A simple example of this is the defund the police movement that started getting major adoption from the BLM protests in 2020. The recently elected mayor of New York, Eric Adams, noted in a previous op-ed that this campaign of defund the police was predominantly being led by young white affluent people and that this phenomenon was something that they were having to suffer the consequences for when they're pushing this narrative. Because most of the people who were pushing the defund the police movement weren't in crime-stricken areas where they were suffering from crime and the lack of policing. One of the most woke areas in the country is San Francisco, California, which happens to also have some of the most wealthiest individuals in the world who are overconsumed with social justice. These people voted in 2014 Prop 47, which turned shoplifting offenses involving property valued at less than $950 from felonies to misdemeanors. So now someone can walk into a store, steal $950 or less of material, and walk out and virtually nothing happens. And it got even worse. In 2019, the people of San Francisco voted Ches Boudin as the district attorney, a person who does not believe in incarceration of criminals. So now when you have crimes that go unpunished, all that's going to do is provoke more people to commit crimes because there's no deterrent. There's no repercussions from it. If they get arrested the same day, they're out on the streets. Ches Boudin's upbringing seems like the backstory to a villain in a Batman movie. Boudin was born in New York City. His parents were part of the leftist terrorist organization called the Weather Underground. When Boudin was 14 months old, his parents were arrested in their involvement of the murder of two police officers and a security guard during a bank robbery. After his parents were arrested, Boudin was raised in Chicago by the leader of the Weather Underground, Bill Ayers. Interesting enough, despite having a life sentence for the murder, Boudin's father was pardoned in August 2021 by the disgraced former governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, who before he was kicked out of office for his misappropriate actions with females, pardoned Boudin's father for his murder. Crime, homelessness, open-air drug use, public defecation, and overall lawlessness in San Francisco has gotten so bad that many stores have closed down and people have left the city because of these policies. It seems like every day there's new videos of individuals running out of stores, carrying bags full of uh, products, groceries, clothes, whatever, and again, with no ramifications, no consequences. In one affluent San Francisco neighborhood, they hired private security to deter criminals from the constant car theft they were experiencing. Now consider that these are probably the same individuals who are out there protesting to defund the police that were promoting this ideology. And now that they have to suffer the consequences of their decisions, what do they do? They go and hire private security to protect them from their bad decisions, just like the devil does. 
that they push an ideology. And when the time comes to suffer from those consequences, they shield themselves from it. And this corresponds with some of the politicians who also hired private security despite being the loudest voices for defunding the police. Democratic House Representative Cory Bush, an outspoken supporter of defunding the police, spent over $130,000 on private security for her campaign. So while everyone else has to suffer with the crime, the violence, the surge, she's able to be scot-free and protected by her private security. The level of hypocrisy is uncanny. Isn't it ironic that the people who are the most prominent voices to defund the police happen to be the same people who can hire private security for themselves and be safeguarded from the consequences of these ideologies that they're pushing? Another trend of luxury beliefs is the ideology of marriage and monogamy. A popular movement among the affluent elite is that marriage is an oppressive institution of the patriarchy, and people should be free to sleep around and have many partners. Yet who suffers the most from such an ideology? A solid two-parent home is critical for a child's future. There's simply no shortcut. For example, in the 60s, the elite advocated for polygamy as they viewed monogamy as outdated. This belief had a lot of serious second-order consequences, as seen from 1960 to 2005 data, when the number of working-class children who grew up in a two-parent household fell from 95% to 30%. Meanwhile, 95% of children from the affluent class grew up in two-parent households in both 1960 and 2005. In this case, the luxury belief of polygamy harmed only the working class, as growing up in a two-parent family is essential to having a nurturing and stable childhood. So again, you see these individuals pushing this for other people, but not applying it for themselves in their own lives. Another luxury belief is that of fat as healthy and empowering. Notice that this predominantly comes from people who can afford healthy, nutritious food, memberships to the nicest gyms, yoga classes, and Pilates, and Pelotons. Yet who does this hurt the most? The individual who lacks these means. But rather than encourage them to live a healthy lifestyle, they encourage them to continue down the path of heart disease, diabetes, and other medical issues. For instance, Aside from age, the next biggest factor to COVID complications is obesity. And here you have these individuals, these institutional elites, trying to convince the masses that being fat and overweight and obese is something to, to celebrate, something to promote, despite the fact that they would never do this for themselves. And again, this all plays into the devil's system to convince people to do things that are absolutely detrimental for them yet not apply it for their own lives for themselves because they know that these things are only going to be destructive and harmful. But the worst of these satanic ideologies that gets promulgated by the agents of the devil is one of the most destructive is the defiance of free will. When the institutional elite promote that humans do not have free will, what they're telling society is that it doesn't matter what your situation is, there's nothing you can do to better yourselves. So just be a victim. Can you think of a worse advice you can give to a person? 
to convince them to stay hopeless and despondent? There is a simple thought experiment to prove not only that there is free will, but that simply acting with such a belief leads to better life outcomes. Consider the average person, which can have one or two views of life. The first option is that they take responsibility for their actions. But the second option is that they do not take responsibility for their actions. Consider which one of these two ideologies will more likely lead to better life outcomes for a person if they believe that they're responsible for their actions or they believe they have no responsibility for their actions, that they're stuck with whatever they're dealt with, that there's nothing they can do to better their situation. Obviously, the individual who believes that they can improve their situation through hard work, through grit, through determination, is going to perform better than the one who absolves themselves of any responsibility and simply plays the victim. The societal and institutional elite know and behave in such a manner where they believe they are responsible for their actions. But when they institute policy and speak to the masses, they convince them that the reason they are not the elite is that there's no free will and they are just stuck with the cards they are dealt. This is why when it comes to drug policy, if one of these elites had a child who was using narcotics, they would send them to the best rehab center to help them get clean. But when it comes to the 20,000 drug-addicted homeless of San Francisco who are predominantly black and brown, they look at ways to enable their behavior rather than help. They offer them all kinds of carrots to promote their drug abuse, their uh, lifestyles, rather than providing them the carrot and sticks to improve their situation. Consider how the government of San Francisco dealt with two different issues. One is that of smoking, secondhand smoke, and vaping. And then the other one is that the use of fentanyl and heroin and painkillers uh, that is predominantly affecting the homeless population. When it came with smoking and secondhand smoke, things that predominantly impact the affluent, they had all kinds of campaigns to stop people from doing this. They barred it from uh, restaurants and office buildings and all these steps to try to eliminate people from carrying out that act. But when it came to drug abuse, that of heroin, uh, despite the fact of thousands of people dying every year from overdosing, for instance, San Francisco ran billboards where they depicted African-Americans with the following message, injecting drugs carries the highest risk of overdose, so try smoking or snorting instead. Rather than promoting them, helping them to get clean, to not take these drugs that are harmful and can cause their death, what they're trying to do is to say, hey, just do it responsibly. And here's a tagline from another billboard they promoted. And this one shows a group of very enthusiastic, cheerful African-American women. And it reads, do it with friends, use with people and take turns. Try not to use alone or have someone check on you. Who would ever say that to their loved ones, to their friends? It's the aspect that they treat these individuals with no dignity, that they promote them something that they would never advise for themselves or their loved ones, that they have the audacity to push these ideologies, this agenda, to the masses, despite the fact that they know that this is going to lead to destruction and devastation, but they know because they're safeguarded from it, that they're not impacted by it, that they have the money to go to a proper rehab center, that they have no qualms about pushing this to other people. 
Much of this adoption of these modern destructive ideologies that have taken over education, institutions, and government can be traced back to the militant atheists like Hitchens, Dawkins, P.Z. Myers, and Sam Harris. As they crusaded to eliminate religion and God from the minds of individuals, they failed to see that what they were doing is laying the groundwork for their own demise as they expand satanic values. When the atheists of this cohort were pressed and asked, what do they want society to replace religion with? Their typical arrogant response was, what do you replace a tumor with? That they saw nothing redeemable of God, scripture, morality, that they simply saw these things as a destructive force on society. But what they failed to see was all they were doing was the devil's bidding. In Surah 36, verse 60, it says, Did I not covenant with you, O children of Adam, that you shall not worship the devil, that he is your most ardent enemy, and that you shall worship me alone? This is the right path. He has misled multitudes of you. Do you not possess any understanding? The word in Arabic for worship is abad. Abad means to serve and it also means to worship. These individuals, by serving the devil, by doing the devil's bidding, are only showing that what they're doing is worshiping the devil. God has given us intrinsic knowledge of good and evil to distinguish the right from the wrong. And what these individuals aim to do is to muddle that distinction and to push for moral relativism and to push this ideology that they know full well that they would never want for themselves on the masses because they want nothing else than to see people suffer. And this is the devil's trick that he's playing on mankind and these agents are just doubling down in that regard. Again, when they are told do not commit evil, they say, but we are righteous. In fact, they are evildoers, but they do not perceive. So how do we combat this? How do we retaliate against this? God gives us the advice in Surah 3, verse 104. It says, let there be a community of you who invite to what is good, advocate righteousness, and forbid evil. These are the winners. The Arabic word used here for righteousness is maruf. Maruf means something that's universally recognized as good. These individuals know what's good. They realize it, yet they promote things that they would not want for themselves. And us, as followers of the Quran, we need to call out this injustice, to speak the truth, to promote righteousness and forbid evil, those things that no one wants for themselves. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. And if you don't have an iOS device, you can go to the QuranStudy.com website. And if you like the podcast, please share it with other people. Leave us a review. And until next time, peace and God bless.